Chapter Six, Part Two of Mount Royal, Volume One by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six in Society, Part Two. This and much more had Jessie Bridgman written seven years ago, while Mount Royal was still new to her. The place and the people, at least those two whom she first knew there, had grown dearer as time went on when leonard came home from the university he and his mother's factotum did not get on quite so well as mrs tregonell had hoped jessie was ready to be kind and obliging to the heir of the house but leonard did not like her in the language of the servants hall he put his back up at her he looked upon her as an interloper and a spy especially suspecting her in the latter capacity perhaps from a lurking consciousness that some of his actions would not bear the fierce light of unfriendly observation in vain did his mother plead for her favourite you have no idea how good she is said mrs tregonell you're perfectly right there mother i have not retorted leonard and so useful to me i should be lost without her of course that's exactly what she wants creeping and crawling and pinching and saving docking your tradesmen's accounts grinding your servants fingering your income till by and by she will contrive to finger a good deal of it into her own pocket that's the way they all begin that's the way the man in the play sir giles overreach's man began you may be sure till by and by he got sir giles under his thumb and that's the way miss bridgman will serve you i wonder you are so short-sighted weak as mrs tregonell was in her love for her son she was too staunch to be set against a person she liked by any such assertions as these she was quite able to form her own opinion about miss bridgman's character and she found the girl straight as an arrow candid almost to insolence yet pleasant withal industrious clever sharp as a needle in all domestic details able to manage pounds as carefully as she had managed pence and sixpences mother used to give me the housekeeping purse she said and i did what i liked i was always chancellor of the exchequer it was a very small exchequer but i learnt the habit of spending and managing and keeping accounts while active and busy about domestic affairs verifying accounts settling supplies and expenditures with a cook housekeeper making herself a veritable clerk of the kitchen and overlooking the housemaids in the finer details of their work miss bridgman still found ample leisure for the improvement of her mind in a quiet country house where family prayers are read at eight o'clock every morning the days are long enough for all things jessie had no active share in christabel's education which was mrs tregonell's delight and care but she contrived to learn what christabel learnt to study with her and read with her and often to outrun her in the pursuit of a favourite subject they learnt german together they read good french books together and were companions in the best sense of the word it was a happy life monotonous uneventful but a placid busy all-satisfying life which jessie bridgman led during those six years and a half which went before the advent of angus hamley at mount royal the companion's salary had long again been doubled and jessie who had no caprices and whose wants were modest was able to send forty pounds a year to shepherd's bush and found a rich reward in the increased cheerfulness of the letters from home just so much for jessie bridgman's history as she walks by major bree's side in the sunlight with a sharply cut face impressed with a gravity beyond her years and marked with precocious lines that were drawn there by the iron hand of poverty before she had emerged from girlhood of late even amidst the elegant luxuries of mayfair in a life given over to amusement among flowers and bright scenery and music and pictures those lines have been growing deeper 
lines that hinted at a secret care isn't it delightful to see them together said the major looking after those happy lovers with a benevolent smile yes i suppose it is very beautiful to see such perfect happiness like juan and haidee before lambro swooped down upon them returned miss bridgman who was too outspoken to be ashamed of having read byron's epic major brie had old-fashioned notions about the books women should and should not read and byron except for elegant extracts was in his index expurgatorius if a woman was allowed to read the jower she would inevitably read don juan he argued there would be no restraining her after she had tasted blood no use in offering her another poet and saying now you can read thalaba or peter bell they were so happy said jessie dreamily so young and one so innocent and then came fear severance despair and death for the innocent sinner it is a terrible story fortunately there is no tyrannical father in this case replied the cheerful major everybody is pleased with the engagement everything smiles upon the lovers no it is all sunshine said jessie there is no shadow if if mr hamley is as worthy of his betrothed as we have all agreed to think him yet there was a time when you spoke rather disparagingly of him my gossiping old tongue should be cut out for repeating club scandals hamley is a generous-hearted noble-natured fellow and i am not afraid to trust him with the fate of a girl whom i love almost as well as if she were my own daughter i don't know whether all men love their daughters by the by there are daughters and daughters i have seen some that it would be tough work to love but for christabel my affection is really parental i have seen her bud and blossom a beautiful living flower a rose in the garden of life and you think mr hamley is worthy of her said miss bridgman looking at him searchingly with her shrewd grey eyes in spite of what you heard at the clubs a fico for what i heard at the clubs exclaimed the major blowing the slander away from the tips of his fingers as if it had been thistledown every man has a past and every man outlives it the present and the future are what we have to consider it is not a man's history but the man himself that concerns us and i say that angus hamley is a good man a right-meaning man a brave and generous man if a man is to be judged by his history where would david be i should like to know and yet david was the chosen of the lord added the major conclusively i hope said jessie earnestly with vague visions of intrigue and murder conjured up in her mind that mr hamley was never as bad as david no no murmured the major the circumstances of modern times are so different don't you see an advanced civilization a greater respect for human life napoleon the first did a good many queer things but you would not get a monarch and a commander-in-chief to act as david and Job acted nowadays public opinion would be too strong for them they would be afraid of the newspapers was it anything very dreadful that you heard at the club three years ago asked jessie still hovering about a forbidden theme with a morbid curiosity strange in one whose acts and thoughts were for the most part ruled by common sense the major who would not allow a woman to read don juan had his own ideas of what ought and ought not to be told to a woman my dear miss bridgman he said i would not for worlds pollute your ears with the ribald trash men talk in a club smoking-room let it suffice for you to know that i believe in angus hamley although i have taken the trouble to make myself acquainted with the follies of his youth 
they walked on in silence for a little while after this and then the major said in a voice full of kindness i think you went to see your own people yesterday did you not yes mrs tregonell was kind enough to give me a morning and i spent it with my mother and sisters the major had questioned her more than once about her home in a way which indicated so kindly an interest that it could not possibly be mistaken for idle curiosity and she had told him with perfect frankness what manner of people her family were in no wise hesitating to admit their narrow means and the necessity that she should earn her own living i hope you found them well and happy i thought my mother looked thin and weary the girls were wonderfully well great hardy overgrown creatures i felt myself a wretched little shrimp among them as for happiness well they are as happy as people can expect to be who are very poor do you really think poverty is incompatible with happiness asked the major with a philosophical air i have had a particularly happy life and i have never been rich ah that makes all the difference exclaimed jessie you have never been rich but they have always been poor you can't conceive what a gulf lies between those two positions you have been obliged to deny yourself a great many of the mere idle luxuries of life i dare say hunters the latest improvements in guns valuable dogs continental travelling but you have had enough for all the needful things for neatness cleanliness an orderly household a well-kept flower-garden everything spotless and bright about you no slipshod maid of all work printing her greasy thumb upon your dishes nothing out at elbows your house is small but of its kind it is perfection and your garden well if i had such a garden in such a situation i would not envy eve the eden she lost is that really your opinion cried the enraptured soldier or are you saying this just to please me to reconcile me to my jog-trot life my modest surroundings i mean every word i say then it is in your power to make me richer in happiness than rothschild or baring dearest miss bridgman dearest jessie i think you must know how devotedly i love you till to-day i have not dared to speak for my limited means would not have allowed me to maintain a wife as the woman i love ought to be maintained but this morning's post brought me the news of the death of an old admiral of the blue who was my father's first cousin he was a bachelor like myself left the navy soon after the signing of sir henry pottinger's treaty at nankin in forty two never considered himself well enough off to marry but lived in a lodging at devonport and hoarded and hoarded and hoarded for the mere abstract pleasure of accumulating his surplus income and the result of his hoarding combined with a little dodging of the investments in stocks and shares is that he leaves me a solid four hundred a year in great westerns it is not much from some people's point of view but added to my existing income it makes me very comfortable i could afford to indulge all your simple wishes my dearest i could afford to help your family he took her hand she did not draw it away but pressed it gently with the grasp of friendship don't say one word more you are too good you are the best and kindest man i have ever known she said and i shall love and honour you all my life but i shall never marry i made up my mind about that oh ever so long ago indeed i never expected to be asked if the truth must be told i understand said the major terribly dashed i am too old don't suppose that i have not thought about that i have but i fancy the difficulty might be got over 
you are so different from the common run of girls so staid so sensible of such a contented disposition but i was a fool to suppose that any girl of seven-and-twenty interrupted jessie it is a long way up the hill of girlhood i shall soon be going down on the other side at any rate you are more than twenty years my junior i was a fool to forget that dear major brie said jessie very earnestly believe me it is not for that reason i say no if you were as young as young as mr hamleigh the answer would be just the same i shall never marry there is no one prince or peasant whom i care to marry you are much too good a man to be married for the sake of a happy home for status in the world kindly companionship all of which you could give me if i loved you as you ought to be loved i would answer proudly yes but i honour you too much to give you half love perhaps you do not know with how little i could be satisfied urged the major opposing what he imagined to be a romantic scruple with the shrewd common sense of his fifty years experience i want a friend a companion a helpmate and i am sure you could be all those to me if i could only make you happy you could not interrupted jessie with cruel decisiveness pray never speak of this again dear major brie your friendship has been very pleasant to me it has been one of the many charms of my life at mount royal i would not lose it for the world and can we always be friends if you will only remember that i have made up my mind irrevocably never to marry i must needs obey you said the major deeply disappointed but too unselfish to be angry i will not be importunate yet one word i must say your future if you do not marry what is that to be of course so long as mrs tregonell lives your home will be at mount royal but i fear that does not settle the question for long my dear friend does not appear to me a long-lived woman i have seen traces of premature decay when christabel is married and mrs tregonell is dead where is your home to be providence will find me one answered jessie cheerfully providence is wonderfully kind to plain little spinsters with a knack of making themselves useful i have been doing my best to educate myself ever since i have been at mount royal it is so easy to improve one's mind when there are no daily worries about the tax-gatherer and the milkman and when i am called upon to seek a new home i can go out as a governess and drink the cup of life as it is mixed for governesses as charlotte bronte says perhaps i shall write a novel as she did although i have not her genius i would not be sure of that said the major i believe there is some kind of internal fire burning you up although you are outwardly so quiet i think it would have been your salvation to accept the jog-trot life and peaceful home i have offered you very likely replied jessie with a shrug and a sigh but how many people reject salvation they would rather be miserable in their own way than happy in anybody else's way the major answered never a word for him all the glory of the day had faded he walked slowly on by jessie's side meditating upon her words wondering why she had so resolutely refused him there had not been the least wavering she had not even seemed to be taken by surprise her mind had been made up long ago not him nor any other man would she wed some early disappointment perhaps mused the major a curate at shepherd's bush those young men have a great deal to answer for they came to the hyacinth dell an earthly paradise to the two happy lovers who were sitting on a mossy bank in a sheet of azure bloom 
which seen from the distance hathworth young trees looked like blue bright water to the major the hazel copse and the bluebells the young oak plantation and all the lovely details of mosses and flowering grasses and starry anemones were odious he felt in a hurry to get back to his club and steep himself in london pleasures all the benevolence seemed to have been crushed out of him christabel saw that her old friend was out of spirits and contrived to be by his side on their way back to the boat trying to cheer him with sweetest words and loveliest smiles have we tired you she asked the afternoon is very warm tired me you forget how i ramble over the hills at home no i am just a trifle put out but it is nothing i had news of a death this morning a death that makes me richer by four hundred a year if it were not for respect for my dead cousin who so kindly made me his heir i think i should go to-night to the most rowdy theatre in london just to put myself in spirits which are the rowdy theatres uncle oliver well perhaps i ought not to use such a word the theatres are all good in their way but there are theatres and theatres i should choose one of those to which the young men go night after night to see the same piece a burlesque or an opera bouffe plenty of smart jokes and pretty girls why have you not taken me to those theatres we have not come to them yet you have seen shakespeare and modern comedy which is rather a weak material as compared with sheridan or even with coleman and morton whose plays were our staple entertainment when i was a boy you have heard all the opera singers yes you have been very good but i want to see cupid and psyche two of my partners last night talked to me of cupid and psyche and were astounded that i had not seen it i felt quite ashamed of my ignorance i asked one of my partners who was particularly enthusiastic to tell me all about the play and he did to the best of his ability which was not great and he said that a miss mayne stella mayne who plays psyche is simply adorable she is the loveliest woman in london he says and was greatly surprised that she had not been pointed out to me in the park now really uncle oliver this is very remiss in you you who are so clever in showing me famous people when we are driving in the park my dear we have not happened to see her that is all replied the major without any responsive smile at the bright young face smiling up at him you have seen her i suppose yes i saw her when i was last in london not this time not this time you most unenthusiastic person but i understand your motive you have been waiting an opportunity to take jessie and me to see this divine psyche is she absolutely lovely loveliness is a matter of opinion she is generally accepted as a particularly pretty woman when will you take me to see her i have no idea you have so many engagements your aunt is always making new ones i can do nothing without her permission surely you like dancing better than sitting in a theatre no i do not dancing is delightful enough but to be in a theatre is to be in fairyland it is like going into a new world i leave myself and my own life at the doors and go to live and love and suffer and be glad with the people in the play to see a powerful play really well acted such acting as we have seen is to live a new life from end to end in a few hours it is like getting the essence of a lifetime without any of the actual pain for when the situation is too terrible one can pinch oneself and say it is only a dream an act a dream 
if you like powerful plays plays that make you tremble and cry you would not care two pence for cupid and psyche said major brie it is something between a burlesque and a fairy comedy a most frivolous kind of entertainment i believe i don't care how frivolous it is i have set my heart upon seeing it i don't want to be out of the fashion if you won't get me a box at the where is it the kaleidoscope theatre at the kaleidoscope i shall ask angus please don't i-i shall be seriously offended if you do let me arrange the business with your aunt if you really want to see the piece i suppose you must see it but not unless your aunt likes dearest dearest kindest uncle oliver cried christabel squeezing his arm from my childhood upwards you have always fostered my self-will by the blindest indulgence i was afraid that all at once you were going to be unkind and thwart me major brie was thoughtful and silent for the rest of the afternoon and although jessie tried to be as sharp-spoken and vivacious as usual the effort would have been obvious to any two people properly qualified to observe the actions and expressions of others but angus and christabel being completely absorbed in each other saw nothing amiss in their companions the river and landscape were divine a river for gods a wood for nymphs altogether too lovely for mortals tea served on a little round table in the hotel garden was perfect how much nicer than the dinner to-night exclaimed christabel i wish we were not going and yet it will be very pleasant i dare say a table decorated with the loveliest flowers well-dressed women clever men all talking as if there was not a care in life and perhaps we shall be next to each other added the happy girl looking at angus what a comfort to me that i am out of it said jessie how nice to be an insignificant young woman whom nobody ever dreams of asking to dinner a powdered old dowager did actually hint at my going to her musical evening the other day when she called in bolton row be sure you come early she said gushingly to mrs tregonell and christabel and then in quite another key glancing at me she added and if miss er er would like to hear my singers i should be er er delighted no doubt mentally adding i hope she won't have the impertinence to take me at my word jessie you are the most evil-thinking person i ever knew cried christabel i am sure lady millamont meant to be civil yes but did she not mean me to go to her party retorted jessie the happy days the society evenings slipped by dining music dancing and now came the bright season of rustic entertainments more dancing more music lawn tennis archery water parties every device by which the summer hours may chime in tune with pleasure it was july christabel's birthday had come and gone bringing a necklace of single diamonds and a basket of june roses from angus and the most perfect thing in park hacks from mrs tregonell but christabel's wedding day more fateful than any birthday except the first had not yet been fixed albeit mr hamley pressed for a decision upon this vital point it was to have been at midsummer he said one day when he had been discussing the question tete-a-tete with mrs tregonell indeed angus i never said that i told you that christabel would be twenty at midsummer and that i would not consent to the marriage until after then precisely but surely that meant soon after i thought we should be married early in july in time to start for the tyrol in golden weather i never had any fixed date in my mind answered mrs tregonell with a pained look struggle with herself as she might this engagement of christabel's was a disappointment and a grief to her 
i thought my son would have returned before now i should not like the wedding to take place in his absence and i should like him to be at the wedding said angus but i think it will be rather hard if we have to wait for the caprice of a traveller who from what bell tells me of his letters has bell shown you any of his letters asked mrs tregonell with a vexed look no i don't think he has written to her has he no of course not his letters are always addressed to me he is a wretched correspondent i was going to say that from what bell tells me your son's movements appear most uncertain and it really does not seem worth while to wait when the wedding day is fixed i will send him a message by the atlantic cable we must have him at the wedding mr hamley did not see the necessity but he was too kind to say so he pressed for a settlement as to the day or week or at least the month in which his marriage was to take place and at last mrs tregonell consented to the beginning of september they were all agreed now that the fittest marriage temple for this particular bride and bridegroom was the little old church in the heart of the hills the church in which christabel had worshipped every sunday morning or afternoon ever since she could remember it was christabel's own desire to kneel before that familiar altar on her wedding day in the solemn peacefulness of that loved hillside with friendly honest country faces round her rather than in the midst of a fashionable crowd attended by bridesmaids after gainsborough and page-boys after van dyke in an atmosphere heavy with the scent of s bouquet mr hamley had no near relations and albeit a whole bevy of cousins and a herd of men from the clubs would have gladly attended to witness his excision from the ranks of gilded youth and to bid him godspeed on his voyage to the domestic haven their presence at the sacrifice would have given him no pleasure while on the other hand there was one person resident in london whose presence would have caused him acute pain thus each of the lovers pleading for the same favour mrs tregonell had forgone her idea of a london wedding and had come to see that it would be very hard upon all the kindly inhabitants of forbury and minster bowcastle trevalga bosony and trevena to deprive them of the pleasurable excitement to be derived from christabel's wedding early in september in the golden light of that lovely time they were to be quietly married in the dear old church and then away to tyrolean woods and hills scenes which for christabel seemed to be the chosen background of poetry legend and romance rather than an actual country provided with hotels and accessible by tourists once having consented to the naming of an exact time mrs tregonell felt there could be no withdrawal of her word she telegraphed to leonard who was somewhere in the rocky mountains with a chosen friend a couple of english servants and three or four canadians and who were he so minded could be home in a month and having dispatched this message she felt the last wrench had been endured nothing that could ever come afterwards save death itself could give her a sharper pain poor leonard she replied it will break his heart in the years that were gone she had so identified herself with her son's hopes and schemes had so projected her thoughts into his future seeing him in her waking dreams as he would be in the days to come a model squire possessed of all his father's old-fashioned virtues with a great deal of modern cleverness superadded a proud and happy husband the father of a noble race she had kept this vision of the future in her mind so long had dwelt upon it so fondly had coloured it so brightly that to forego it now to say to herself this thing was but a dream which i dreamed and it can never be realised was like relinquishing a part of her own life she was a deeply religious woman and if called upon to bear physical pain to suffer the agonies of a slow incurable illness she would have suffered with the patience of a christian martyr 
saying to herself as brave dr arnold said in the agony of his sudden fatal malady whom he loveth he chasteneth but she could not surrender the daydream of her life without bitterest repining in all her love of christabel in all her careful education and moral training of the niece to whom she had been as a mother there had been this leaven of selfishness she had been rearing a wife for her son such a wife as would be a man's better angel a guiding restraining elevating principle so interwoven with his life that he should never know himself in leading strings an influence so gently exercised that he should never suspect that he was influenced leonard has a noble heart and a fine manly character the mother had often told herself but he wants the association of a milder nature than his own he is just the kind of man to be guided and governed by a good wife a wife who would obey his lightest wish and yet rule him always for good she had seen how when leonard had been disposed to act unkindly or illiberally by a tenant christabel had been able to persuade him to kindness or generosity how when he had set his face against going to church being minded to devote sunday morning to the agreeable duty of cleaning a favourite gun or physicking a favourite spaniel or greasing a cherished pair of fishing boots christabel had taken him there how she had softened and toned down his small social discourtesies checked his tendency to strong language and as it were expurgated edited and amended him and having seen and rejoiced in this state of things it was very hard to be told that another had won the wife she had moulded after her own fashion to the gladness and glory of her son's life all the harder because it was her own short-sighted folly which had brought angus hamley to mount royal all through that gay london season for christabel a time of unclouded sadness carking care had been at mrs tregonell's heart she tried to be just to the niece whom she dearly loved and who had so tenderly and fully repaid her affection yet she could not help feeling as if christabel's choice was a personal injury nay almost treachery and ingratitude she must have known that i meant her to be my son's wife she said to herself yet she takes advantage of my poor boy's absence and gives herself to the first comer surely september is soon enough she said pettishly when angus pleaded for an earlier date you will not have known christabel for a year even then some men love a girl for half a lifetime before they win her but it was not my privilege to know christabel at the beginning of my life replied angus i made the most of my opportunities by loving her the moment i saw her it is impossible to be angry with you sighed mrs tregonell you are so like your father that was one of the worst hardships of the case mrs tregonell could not help liking the man who had thwarted the dearest desire of her heart she could not help admiring him and making comparisons between him and leonard not to the advantage of her son had not her first love been given to his father the girl's romantic love ever so much more fervid and intense than any later passion the love that sees ideal perfection in a lover End of chapter six